Hey, Kevin. Hey, Will. Did you know this podcast is sponsored by Shortboxed? You mean the easiest and safest way to buy and sell graded comic books? Yes, they are trusted by the most respected dealers and collectors in the industry. Huh, never heard of them. Wow, really sounded like you had. No, I haven't, uh, but I'll check them out, definitely. Great. Screw it, screw it. We're just going to Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast in human history where two brothers talk about something they like, and that thing is comic books. I'm one of the brothers slash uh, comic book fans slash kind of comedians. My name's Will Hines. And I'm the other one. I'm also a co-host. And my name is Kevin Hines. And um, this is a Mutants and Mailbags episode. Yeah, uh, where we spend um, half the episode going over some issues of Chris Claremont's run on the Uncanny X-Men, mm-hmm. and then the other half going over email. Yeah, that's right. And uh, this episode, we're going to do issues 167 through 170 um, of uh, the Uncanny X-Men. And yeah, this is some uh, prime Paul Smith era stuff. Um. When I think of Paul Smith, I basically, the only issue I had in my mind was uh, issue, I guess, what is 168? Professor Uh Xavier is a jerk. Yeah, that's a a Um, milestone, iconic moment in the episode. Yeah. Uh, We're going to cover that today. Um, Yeah, and this basically is sort of the end of the Brood saga, Kevin's favorite story in the X-Men history. And, And then sort of the beginning of the new mutants show up here. Mm hmm. And some, and and Kitty Pride versus Professor X, a little bit too. Yeah, and uh, we start uh, possibly setting the stage for what comes next. I don't know what comes next, so I don't know for sure. But like the Hellfire Club is doing some maneuvering in the background, and yeah, uh, the Morlocks show up for the first time ever. They're yeah, pretty we cool. Some, we get some cool Morlock stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin, what's your overall feeling about these issues? These issues were really fun. This is, to me, a return to what I enjoy about this comic. Yes, I really, I really liked it too. Um, Paul Smith seems to maybe go to work well with Claremont. His style goes well with the story. It's easier to follow. The emotional moments are sort of framed up nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or maybe Claremont was writing differently at this time, but. Some yeah, of the, it, the stories are more clear somehow. It's hard to know whether or not Claremont was reacting to just a change of pace after the Brood saga anyway, if this would have happened anyway, or if he's reacting to <laughs> Paul Smith's tendencies. I, there's no way to know for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, he, Cockrum's great designs and epic uh, spreads, but Paul Smith does really good character moments. And that's the stuff that speaks to me more and I think speaks to you more despite your brood tattoo. Um, yes, I, I didn't, I didn't mind the brood stuff so much, but uh, this stuff's definitely just goes down easier. Maybe Paul Smith's just a better storyteller. Just like this is happening in this panel. And now this is happening in this panel. Like I, I'm not an illustrator, so it's hard for me to speak yeah. to that, but it might just be easier just to discern what's going on. I, I also, maybe just Cockrum just can't do monthly and and uh, he's and maybe he's rushing. He was rushing a little bit in those issues, especially with the double size. I guess Paul Smith did the double size finale, but you know, trying to keep up with all this, maybe he just maybe Cockrum does better at like design work or a bi monthly or sort of just like I'll do a mini series that I can kind of all 
bang out ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting era of X-Men uh, because this is like, I mean, X-Men is a hit now and now they're spinning off new titles. New Mutants has begun recently. Yeah. And there's a Wolverine miniseries happening at this time. Right. Um, uh, is that written by Claremont and drawn by Frank Miller? I think. I think so. I've never. Uh, I, I have. I, I have not read it. It is, and I and uh, so Frank Miller was one of the hottest artists of the time. Claremont would be one of the hottest writers. I, I'm, the Wolverine miniseries was a big deal. Yeah, I, I mean, the most popular character from the X Men, probably getting a spinoff with yeah. the most popular artist. Yeah, from the writer of the X Men, it seems like a. Uh, a perfect, a perfect pitch. Like it's the sort of thing that any editor is going to say, yes, whatever you want, make that so, happen. So we're really into peak, peak X-Men here. Yeah. One, it, one, one of the peaks. I would say the beginning of the peak. And I don't think this peak ends uh, uh, basically probably until like the Iron Man movie comes out. I think like the X-Men rule Marvel from now until then, like they are the, the heart and soul of what drives Marvel's, finances and drives the universe it's got its own big epic uh, crossovers eventually i mean there hasn't there hasn't even been a secret wars crossover yet but eventually x-men has its own personal crossovers it has more and more spin-offs it becomes its own universe unto itself i mean the only thing even close to this is spider-man at this point but spider-man even though he's got multiple titles it's smaller because it's just one dude yeah and the X-Men is sprawling. It becomes sprawling, at least. Right now, it's not quite sprawling, I wouldn't say. But it is, you know, it's it's large enough that half the cast can be gone and this book can just truck along fine with still a pretty big cast. And Right, and um, the X-Men has such a variety of characters. You can focus on Kitty Pride for a while. You can move over to mm -hmm. Cyclops if you want. Uh, the New Mutants give you a whole new array of people. The new mutants are just as international, perhaps more international than the X-Men. So like it's really you get a different flavor of experiences in the X-Men stories than you would in Spider-Man or the Avengers. Yeah. Um, and the Avengers obviously feels like uh, it's not quite true. They've got their, a lot of their own like homegrown characters. But the Avengers always feels like here's an a, uh, assortment of Marvel characters gathering where right. the X-Men feel like here are the X-Men and then the spin, the, the, the solo stories feel like, and here's an X-Men on a, so like you wouldn't look at a Captain America book and be like, ah, an Avengers book with Captain America on his own. Right. Right. It starts with the, the Avengers solo books, and then yeah. the Avengers is almost bonus material in a way, but pre MCU. Yeah. And then, um, X-Men is the source. And then if they do right. something else, that's like supplemental. Yeah. It's like Wolverine of the X-Men in right. his own book is what it feels like, even though now he is on every team. There still is in these issues, a healthy amount of what's happening and like, why does that work? Uh, that's the, I think that's just part of Claremont's storytelling, uh, you know, or it's like, wait, that saved the day or that didn't save the day, blah, blah, blah. But mm -hmm. uh, it's still make the stories are still really fun. Well, the problems, I mean, <laughs> this first issue maybe is an exception to that, but the problems that they have in these four issues aren't as epic as the brood thing where it was just sort of like, well, there's no way to get out of this other than to commune with a whale spirit. <laughs> uh, how else would you get out of this problem where it's conceivable when you're fighting the Morlocks? It's like, okay, well, there's ways out of this. 
though sometimes it just seems like Colossus can only break his ropes when it's convenient to the plot. Yes. Um, it's tied up a lot and then breaks his ropes seemingly whenever he wants. Right, right. Um, what do you think? Why don't we talk about this first issue, Kev? Yeah. I mean, I love the New Mutants. I think their powers are really fun for the most part. Uh, I'm a big Cannonball fan. Uh, <laughs> Cannonball is the guy who can fly. And while he's flying, he's indestructible, but he can't really control how he's flying very well. So he's sort of a wild, mm-hmm. uh, he's sort of, a, he's at this stage, at least he's very wild. He sort of flies so fast and so out of control that he's not great at steering and stuff. Um, yes, this this issue, I'll say 167, just high level. The X-Men return from the brood and they have to, it's still one, this is one last brood chapter basically. Mm-hmm. And the royal egg is implanted in Professor X, and the X-Men have returned to see if Professor X has turned into a brood or to get the egg out. And the new mutants are living in the mansion now, and so we get to see the X-Men meet the new mutants and deal with a brood-infested Professor X. That's the, yeah, that's and, the story. And I think because the new mutants are there, it feels like most of the issue is them dealing with the new mutants, and the brood stuff is almost plot B. Okay, yeah, I can see that. It's, it's how it feels when I'm reading it. Uh, the first half of the book is definitely New Mutants-centered. We meet mm-hmm. them. So we see Sam Guthrie, Rain Sinclair, Roberta DaCosta, Danielle Moonstar, uh, Gian Koiman, and so that's Cannonball, Sunspot. What's the werewolf's name? Uh, uh, Wolvesbane. Wolvesbane, yes. And then um, Karma... And Danielle Moonstar, I forget. I forget. Uh, it becomes Mirage. I think it might be something different at this point. Um, it's like a psych or something like that. Psych, that's right. It's psych. But it, but it quickly becomes, they change or it to psy- Mirage. Psyche, psyche. Yeah, but they change it to Mirage because uh, that's what I know her as. Yeah. Um, better. That's a better name. And so the New Mutants are sort of like the Junior League X-Men. They are students more than superheroes in Professor X's eyes. They're supposed to be just trained and kept out of danger, whereas the X-Men are the big league, major league superhero team. Yeah. Right. It's very funny. It's, it's very funny to have a comic book about these characters won't do any missions or have any adventures. It's sort of it's sort of strange. If, if Professor X was pitching the comic, that's his pitch. Yeah. This is just school. <laughs> uh, and uh, they go on lots of adventures so it does not work out like Professor X wants it to I mean in this adventure when the X-Men are battling the possessed Professor X they immediately are like these kids have superpowers it would be really useful to involve them yeah yeah they ask for one of them to come along uh, immediately yeah but it makes sense they're like super powered supernatural beings who seem relatively in control of their powers. Yeah. They fought us very well. Let's bring the werewolf for it to help us. track. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's great. Uh, When we first see the new mutants, they're watching, I think Magnum PI and they are more interested in Magnum PI than I remember the youth of America being interested. (laughs) They're watching it. Like it's Miami vice or like the coolest show. (laughs) Like you you up from Magnum to Miami Vice, which is, I mean, it is a step higher, but it isn't like Magnum, at least Miami Vice was, was like a hit. Like Miami Vice was like a cool show and weird thing. This is just like, way to go, Magnum. Look at that man move. I don't, I don't remember they're, Magnum's moving really fast. I don't think their eyes are watched. glued to, but their eyes are glued to the set. Like they are watching the most astonishing movie 
like ever they're watching it more like it's alien or terminator or something like oh my goodness yes 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 they're, they're not watching it like it is a series an episode of a tv show it's really funny it's, like, I, oh, it's more like fall guy the way they're so wrapped with attention you're underselling miami vice but um i don't think anyone watched miami vice the way uh their eyes are wide open in awe well i was like oh, look at don johnson's sockless uh, pants. Oh man, what? what how a, what many a episodes look. of Miami Vice have you seen? I don't know. How many episodes of Magnum have you seen? Ten. All right, I've seen none <laughs> of any of them. They're all, all they right. all look the same to me. You watch Miami Vice, you'll get sucked in. It's nothing like The Brood, but it's still pretty good. <laughs> um, but then uh, while while they inter- this reverie is interrupted by the X Men who just come in inexplicably destroying the place. Right. Inexplicably, this is what the X-Men do. They don't like doors. If the doors <laughs> close, the X-Men are going to break it down Cyclops, fast and as angrily as possible. Cyclops blows one open with his beams. Nightcrawler teleports in, which makes sense, but Cyclops also bursts in through the window. But, I, you know, they're worried about Professor X. Yeah, Colossus and Wolverine shatter through the window. Uh, uh, yeah, it is Storm staying outside, I guess, for this moment. That's nice of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, what a terrifying thing to happen. They should be watching a horror movie. It looks like they're watching a horror movie, and I think Claremont changed it to be a, a hip, popular reference. <laughs> of Magnum P.I., yeah. I think so, because it looks like they're watching a horror movie, and then this would be a very scary thing to happen and also have a monster in the house. It feels like we're watching something scary. Yeah. Ooh, I'm on edge. I'm nervous. And then, boom, Nightcrawler appears behind me. So the X-Men invade. Somehow the New Mutants don't know what the X-Men look like, which I find crazy. Like if you were on the minor league baseball team of the Boston Red Sox and the Boston Red Sox walked into your practice room, you would be Mm -hmm. like, who are these guys? You would know who the Boston Red Sox are, right? That's fair. You're trying to be on that team. But they also thought the X-Men were dead, right? Everyone thinks the X-Men are dead. That often happens. The X-Men leave town for... Yeah. Whenever the X-Men leave town, everyone just sort of puts up gravestones and moves on with their lives. Uh, So they might think these are like clones or something like that. Cannibal immediately takes out Colossus, which is pretty impressive. He he blasts into invulnerable form and just knocks the big guy out of the house. Yeah, I'm pretty much invulnerable as Cannonball. Love it. Why why do you love it so much? What about Cannonball? I I like simple powers. I like one note powers uh, that do one thing. I also like powers that don't work well. Uh, it's more interesting there's more to do with it than someone who's like i don't know uh, someone who has like 10 powers i i don't like powers that are ill-defined right like um it's like oh i absorb kinetic energy and i can blast it back Uh, do i feel pain as sort of i don't know uh Uh, can i blast as lasers or i just do i get stronger a little bit of both and it's like okay maybe i can manipulate this kinetic energy into powering this battery yeah, well, I guess I don't understand your powers. Cannonball's yeah. like I'm fast, and I, you know, you can't hurt me when I'm flying. <laughs> there's no, there's no, there's no confusion over what he can or can't do. Like it's if he's ca- sort of absorbing energy, you'd be like, well, that's not a thing he can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I love. Hey, I like Cannonball fine, but your your whole life you've loved him, and it just it strikes me as funny. <laughs> uh, does Cannonball ever get his powers under control, or is his whole life he just like? No, I think he is careening. Uh, he's less interesting now. He's just a guy who can fly and he's really strong. Like he's now what he's interesting for is like, uh, he's been like, he's been a mutant for so long that he's sort of grown into his own. But it's like, all right. So his story ended basically in my eyes. Okay. okay. 
Um, meanwhile, Kitty Pride is sneaking upstairs. The X-Men are, are breaking in here because they want to take out Professor X before he turns into a monster. Smart move. Um, and so while Cyclops and Colossus get into a fight with the new mutants, uh, Kitty Pride is phasing in upstairs to sort of sneak into uh, um, Professor X's room. But meanwhile, we see the new mutants on display fighting Cyclops and Nightcrawler. Um, Psyche summons a nightmare vision to scare Colossus. Rain werewolf Just, uh, scare Cyclops. Yes, Cyclops, sorry. Uh, Rain turns into a werewolf and like temporarily knocks Nightcrawler down. Uh, Sunspot attacks Wolverine. That is to no avail. He's not strong enough to stop Wolverine. I think he's strong enough. He's not good enough fighter. He's probably stronger than Wolverine. His um, power is strength, but okay. Yeah, but Wolverine, the, the, this uh, interaction doesn't doesn't do no, much. No, Wolverine is a great fighter. Wolverine thinks if these kids had the skill to match their spunk, they'd be dangerous. There's a lot of like the X Men respecting the new mutants, but saying that they're amateur. Yeah, Karma tries to take over Wolverine's brain, but can't because Wolverine's brain is too untakeable. Say impossible. She's French, I guess, or she speaks French. Uh, um, Kitty Pride has one of these Starjammer guns. <laughs> That looks like a, a bong. Uh, it looks like a bong. She points the bong at Professor X, but doesn't want to use it because she wants to verify if he's been taken over by the brood. So she hesitates. And that's a mistake because Professor X has been taken over by the brood. And he immediately aggressively mentally attacks Kitty Pride, and I guess makes her drop the gun or something. I mean, he's got mental powers of sorts. Uh, yeah. Then we cut back to some more fighting Sunspot versus Wolverine. Uh, Nightcrawler takes out Psyche and Karma by bonking their heads together. So they both have concussions. Great job, Nightcrawler. Gives the children go. some concussions. Thought you were a man of faith. Kitty Pride gets thrown through another door. X-Men are happy because it's another door destroyed. They hate doors. Then evil Professor X comes out and fully transforms into a brood monster. Pretty, looks like bad news to me. Yeah. Which also means he's a brood monster with Professor X's insane mental powers. Yeah. Um, you know, you know what I say when I see something like that? What? Lenin's ghost. <laughs> Which is what Colossus says when he sees almost anything. Yeah, or by the white wolf. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's the brood. So now they have to fight X brood, uh, Xavier brood. Yeah. And he has telepathy. He can read all their thoughts. Uh, he can try to control their minds. He plus has like just the brood power of being a crazy, scaly, strong alien. I think he. Yeah. This is also the queen, right? This is a queen who's. I guess I mean they were all all the eggs were referred to as queens. I, I don't understand any of that. That's mm -hmm. brood confusion. Um, so, uh, Karma tries to possess um, the queen, but is unable to because of the alien thoughts, and then the alien uses. Xavier's mental abilities that it's acquired to zap karma back. So karma is hurt. There's a cool moment where the alien, the brood throws Colossus and Wolverine jumps on the flying Colossus to use him as like a like launching a pad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. And the Paul Smith art is looking pretty here. And it is just like, it's much simpler to see what's happening than I, than I felt in previous issues. Just, yeah. I'm, I'm actually never so into like fights, fights, but I can, the fight I'm, I'm oriented pretty well here. But it's also one brood instead of like uh, legions of them in alien landscapes. It's one brood at, in Westchester County. It's, it's a simpler setup for sure. Um, 
Then binary shows up in like. A Wolverine cuts off the stinger first, and then it, the brood flies into the air to sort of get a better fighting position. And then binary shows up, who's like insanely powerful. Mm-hmm. Not Phoenix level, but like, you know, big tier one superhero level. Yeah. And then Storm also helps out. Yeah, so Storm is a big blizzard, and they they subdue the creature, and then the creature speaks, and Professor X now speaks, and there's still a vestige of Professor X's personality, and uh, it's a little interesting exchange where Xavier in the brood says, kill me, Scott, I beg you, so that the monster doesn't claim his powers, and Wolverine's all on board with that. You heard the man, and is like, let's kill it. Just waiting to be asked to kill somebody. I t- you know, but I do like Wolverine in this phase of um, comics because he it's not arbitrary. It does make sense. Like if this yeah. creature is going to acquire the power of the world's greatest telepath and you can kill it right now. Yeah. And he also knows he's the only one who's going to do it. Yep. So he's got to step up. He can't hesitate because if he hesitates, it's not happening because Storm is not going to do it. Cyclops is not going to do it. Nightcrawler is not going to do it. Colossus is not going to do it. Uh, but, but Cyclops overrules Wolverine and says, no, if there's a chance to save Professor X, we have to try. And they bring him to the Star Jammers. And the little... really, uh, Cyclops asks, any objections? Wolverine goes, lots. <laughs> and everyone else says, no. <laughs> uh, he says lots. Storm says none, which is kind of like that's their philosophical debate they've been having. Storm yeah. won't kill and Wolverine doesn't mind. It's just very funny. Any objections? Lots is a very funny yeah, <laughs> response fun. to that. So we go to the Star Jammers medical bay. We get the little mosquito doctor, Sikorsky. Uh, and it's basically like they, they're going to clone a new body for Xavier. Yeah, they let and, the brood die and they just make him a new body and move his brain into the cloned body, I guess. And it's one of those things where it's like, if this option is available to you, I can think of a lot of comic book storylines that can yeah. be affected by this. Well, it is 100% the concept behind the new uh, X-Men status quo, right? Oh, yeah, oh, I, I haven't gotten that far. How, how far have you gotten? I thought you I got, read the uh, I got Power of out. X. I read like 75% of Power of X, House of X, and I got, I got bored. I got like, I can't keep track of what's going on. Oh, wow. That was way more fun to me than the last 12 issues of Brood Comics. Um, was, I, I really, really, really loved the beginning of House of X and Power of X. And just, it was compelling and mysterious. But after a while, I was like, okay, wait, so Moira McTaggart's got this many lives and this is happening and this timeline. Yeah. And I didn't really know a lot of the story that they're retelling. Either did I, but uh, so, I followed it just fine. I'm smarter than you. Um, you're smarter than me. Dummies like me can't follow it. The current status quo in the X-Men is that any X-Men who dies can be immediately resurrected. They can create a new body and just transfer the brain back into that new body. I, I did. I, I, I am. I was generally, and I am for this like new X-Men reboot because it just seems to revitalize it and make it exciting and new again. And I'm down for that. I don't like clinging to old tropes. Nonetheless, I did get bored. So I don't know. It might not be for me. Uh, I think it's really fun. Uh, Our previous guest, Brett White, dislikes it a lot. Uh, Chris Claremont seems to dislike it without having read it. Although Claremont Um, dislikes anything he didn't write, I think. And I get all those complaints too because it is nothing like what the X-Men has been 
ever before, right? It is yeah. It is not like just saying like it's not honoring oh, it, the history. It's it's, it's like wiping the slate clean. Here's three new members. It's not that. It is okay. Now the X Men are immortal. They live forever. They all live in an island together. Even the bad guys are good guys. They uh, live on Mars. Uh, they can do anything anywhere they want. It's like, well, what is what is this comic? This exists now in the Marvel Universe. I guess it is an insane, huge science fiction status quo shift. Yeah. Uh, and if you really love the X-Men, like the core of the X-Men, a team of mutants going off and fighting bad guys, that's, that's gone. gone. Yeah. At uh, least for it, now. It, it'd be like, oh, now Spider-Man is a comic about. Uh, giant robot warriors yeah uh, fighting an alien race of other robots it's basically transformers It'd be like well okay it might still be a good comic but it's not yeah. spider-man and i get that complaint a lot i get that complaint but, too but, but because also, i don't have like the invested history in the x-men i think i'm just like oh it's a fun story also since marvel doesn't own the movie rights to x-men in the mcu they, they do now but yes go on um did permanently Disney bought Fox. So, yeah. Okay. So, but while, while that was sort for a long time, for the last like 15 yes. years, that has not been true. So the comic books were sort of like neglecting the X-Men mm -hmm. in favor true, yes. of the Avengers. It's despite their long success. Yeah. So this is kind of a funny, in a weird meta way, a comeuppance. The X-Men's like, oh, you're not going to let us have our rightful place at the center of the Marvel uh, universe then we will become the craziest part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we will uh, once again grab the attention of everybody. Yeah, the X-Men now are owned by Disney, and so are the Fantastic Four. For a while, there was no Fantastic Four comic, and people think it was because uh, Disney higher-ups were like, don't make a Fantastic Four comic. It's advertising for Fox movies. But they're like, oh, should we not make X-Men comics? They're like, well, those make too much money. We have to keep doing those. Uh -huh, but like, right, let's right. just not make them important. And so that's why they tried to make the Inhumans important to sort of take the X-Men place. And that did not land. Um, okay, so back to our X-Men. Yes, yes, yes. Um, they're on the Starjammer ship. Xavier's going to be cloned. Yes. Um, and th there is a nice, so for example, while while that's happening, we get like little character moments we see um, Colossus and Kitty get reunited. She did not reunited, but she was knocked out in the battle and he's comforting her. Storm is talking about how lonely she feels. Uh, she and Nightcrawler have a little convo. Um, these issues have this nice like pace of like battle and then quiet conversation and then battle. And this is, I think this is coming up on when I started buying X-Men comics more often than not. So these are feeling familiar to me. This is the X-Men that I remember, I guess. This 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 Paul Smith era. Yeah, I certainly haven't read these the, these issues that we've read uh today before. Uh Cyclops has a moment with his dad, uh you yep. know, fully forgiving him for all the anger we have. There's some more Queen Lalandra Shiar stuff when the gladiator shows up and he wants to see Lalandra and there's some drama there that I forget what happens. Oh, yeah, they're, they're mad at Reed Richards about the trial of Galactus. Yeah, um, there's a little crossover with Fantastic Four sort of plugging a John Byrne story. It seems nice for these two guys that don't get along. Maybe it was forced on Claremont. I don't know. Yes, um, that's interesting. Yeah, so, yeah, Claire, uh, the X-Men here is plugging a big Fantastic Four story, which, of course, is the realm of John Byrne now. Yeah, I, you know, Claremont, we, we interviewed Claremont. He, he didn't say anything bad about Byrne. He didn't have a bad, you know, he had lots of negative things to say about stories that were done without him. Yeah. 
Uh, and he really, you know, he really dismissed X-Men decisions made without him. And he didn't like how he's not given enough work or enough authority as he thinks he, as he would like. Uh, he said that in a polite way, but that certainly was his complaint, but never, never did he besmirch John Byrne. And that's interesting to me because we've seen in interviews with John Byrne that John Byrne besmirches, not Claremont personally, but like the stories that Claremont did without Byrne, Byrne's like, I didn't like him basically. Yeah. I, I would have done it differently. That's not how I would do it. Yeah. And uh, talked about how he had to like fight tooth and nail to make the X-Men good when he was drawing it. He comes pretty close to saying, I didn't like Claremont or the way he did things. He doesn't quite go there. Yeah. But he's way more aggressive about criticizing Claremont's work. Claremont doesn't do that to burn. And I, I wonder if that says something about what their dynamic was behind the scenes that Claremont's, hey, I, I liked what you did. I was in well, favor of it. Well, especially when you think about the fact that like Byrne felt the need to kind of make fun of the Dr. Doom moment that Claremont writes. But here Claremont is just sort of setting up a nice little acknowledgement of the Fantastic Four storyline, a great Fantastic Four storyline that John Byrne is doing. Yeah. The trial of Galactus, one of the, one of the high points of John Byrne's Fantastic Four run, I would say. Uh, Anyway, it like it is as fans, it's fun to see these former partners have at least some version of a shout out to each other or at least Claremont shouting out Byrne. Yeah. Uh, Professor X can walk again, or he has the ability to walk again, but he's got uh, psychosomatic. Uh, uh, it's funny that, that this mental juggernaut can't come o- overcome his psychosomatic, uh, uh, the the fact that he feels like he should be in pain when he walks. Yeah, at first I was like, that seems kind of unnecessarily complicated. If you clone him in a body, he should be able to walk. But there's, I like Professor X being in a wheelchair. For some reason, that's part of his identity. And so I was glad that they constructed this way. I guess I... I I like I like this story decision is what I'm saying. Yeah, I like it too. I like that if he's going to be able to walk, they're not making it snap of a finger. He can just walk now. Yeah. It's still going to be a hard one thing. Uh, and he also decides that Kitty Pride should be in the New Mutants, which I'll say makes a lot of sense. If you're going to have New Mutants and you have this 14-year-old on the X-Men and there's these other 14-year-olds who are in the house on a separate team, I don't know if it makes sense to have the New Mutants not be fighting battles, but if you're doing that, yeah, it does make sense. But this next issue is fantastic. Yeah. And uh, it's basically Kitty Pride does not like being demoted to the new mutants. And the next issue is going to be her fighting that. And uh, I mean, I agree with Kitty uh, when it comes down to it. I think it, me too. Professor me too. X's decision makes sense. But uh, uh, Kitty is right in the sense like if you change the rules, that's fine. Kitty's grandfathered in as an X-Men. That's right. She went She went to outer space for a year's worth of stories. But she makes she's all the X-Men. arguments. She's saved their lives multiple times. She's carried her weight and then some. Yeah. she's She's got the experience. She's earned her stripes. Yeah. Uh, I always hate when, like, rules change, and then they're like, so now, you know, you can't do this anymore. And it's like, well, I've been – but that's what I've been doing all along. You can't change it out from under me. When I was in high school – um, they changed our school, Will. Uh, when I was a senior, they brought the – we were a three-year high school when you went. Yes. Uh, 10th, 11th, 12th. And when I was in 12th grade, they brought in the ninth graders. So there was oh, a bigger high that. school. They expanded it. They made it a lot bigger. They took – and when we were in 10th and 11th grade, when you had a free period, you your time was your own. You could leave the school grounds. You could go wherever you wanted. Uh, there was no set lunch periods. You could just get lunch uh, that. Yeah. if you had free periods. Um, there's a lot of freedom to it. It was like an open campusy feel to our high school. But in 12th grade, they changed all that. There was a set lunch period. Everyone had to have that lunch period. 
Um, you could not leave. There were set study halls. You could never leave the place. You were supposed to be there from first period to, to whatever, eighth period or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and they changed those rules for the seniors too. And it was really hard for us because we were like, for the last two years, we didn't have these rules. Yeah. Uh, and most of the senior teachers sort of didn't care if you broke the rules as seniors. They're just all like, yeah, we understand that like you guys don't want to follow these new rules. Uh, but everyone else has to. So they kind of did give us some allowances there uh, to, to be more flexible in it. Um, but it was like, that was a sort of thing that happened. It was like, oh, these are new rules. And it's like, oh, you can't do that after th- three years or two years of us not having these rules. Yeah. Um, I can see what that was frustrating. Did you, did you throw down? Did you lead a student revolution? No, uh, but I did come in late. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't uh, have first period a lot of days. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't come in for homeroom. I just skipped it and came to second period and just did what I would have done if the rules had not changed. And I love that, care. that Kevin rebel, that Kevin mm-hmm. rebel phase. Um, well, we should move a little faster. Sure. Um, but this next issue, actually, I say that now this next issue is incredible. Yeah. This is the professor Xavier is a jerk. So this is the one who described every action <laughs> sequence in the last issue. Yeah. Uh, so I'm talking to myself more than you. Will, you should go faster. Um, we have uh, this issue 170. Wait, no, sorry. 168 is Professor Xavier is a jerk. This is an iconic, famous panel. Mm-hmm. And Kitty is right. Xavier has been dismissive kind of of her the whole time. Uh, and without merit, she has for somebody who she, recruited her. I mean, it's not like he, he, she was added to the team when he was gone. He br- added her to this team, and um, and she's been on a number of it right away. She saved the X Men on her like day one on the team. Mm-hmm. Like when Storm is talking to her in the diner when she first joins, they're attacked by the Hellfire Club or no Sentinels, and then the Hellfire Club. And Kitty steps up and saves them, or is part of what saves them. Yeah, and she's done that many times. And so now she's on the new mutants. She hates it. And she's, she, this whole issue is her like consulting with friends and what should I do? And uh, the other X-Men are talking about it. Professor X is trying to learn how to walk with his new body. Um, And she eventually gets advice from Stevie Hunter, the dance teacher that she should fight. Um, And so she does. And, um, and she, and she aggressively starts trying to persuade Professor X to change his mind. We also get another instant friendship. Now Kitty is best friends with Ilyana, who was like seven. A couple recently. weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I get that Ilyana might really like Kitty. Though Ilyana also spent, it's not like Ilyana just turned 13. She spent seven years in a limbo demon realm. Right. But somehow they're just like best friends as if they've been lifelong buds. That's the way it is in the X-Men. Emotions go um, forever. And we also have somebody watching Kitty all this time, and it's Lockheed the Dragon who followed her home from the brood planet. Right. So we're going to have a little mini dragon in the mix pretty soon. Yeah. Um, we also, Scott Summers is on vacation or something and reunites with his uh, boat captain girlfriend. Yeah. He goes to see her for a brief tryst before he falls in love with somebody else. Right. He falls in love next issue with somebody else. But right here, she immediately goes to half shirt. Uniform. They they're always walking on beaches. These two. <laughs> you think they'd be scared to do that? Last time they were on a beach, they were stranded in a Cthulhu temple. Uh, we also see Nightcrawler reuniting with his flight attendant slash magician girlfriend. Yeah, in a sort of a, a 
with a Nightcrawler doll covering up where his penis would be, seemingly as if he's naked, but he's not. He's fully clothed. It, the- it look it looks sort of like the Burt Reynolds Playgirl pose, though. This does look yeah. kind of like a funnily sexy Nightcrawler pose. Um. So uh, Kitty, in the midst of her trying to get out of the New Mutants, discovers in the basement some vestigial members of that alien race that attacked the X-Men pre-Brood. Right, the ones that destroyed the X-Mansion that were chasing uh, Corsair. There was like, there's a nest of them. She discovers it with her computer prowess. She picks, she notices something on the scanners, and then she goes down and she and Lockheed defeat them, and she does it without her phase powers. Yeah, her face powers get deactivated, but Wolverine has trained her in fighting. And in superhero comics, if you've done a few training room sessions with somebody, you are an excellent fighter. Captain America can throw you, show you like a couple moves, and Rick you're Jones can go, hold yeah. his own. <laughs> yeah, you're, when you're a superhero, you learn fast. So she holds off these aliens on her own. She knocks out a couple, then Colossus gets in the mix and helps finish it up. And Lockheed and then, eats all the eggs. Yeah, gives a little cute burp. And uh, this convinces Professor X. He's like, yep, you're right. I was hasty. You, you're you're an X-Men. Um, so we'll just have a thing where you're on the X-Men, but if you fall behind in your studies, you get demoted to the new mutants. And Kitty's fine with that. Yeah. And uh, Lockheed's allowed to stay because otherwise Lockheed might eat Professor X is the joke they make. Uh, yeah, so now there's just a dragon. And then we cut to... It Prof- is weird because like uh, when I was reading uh, X comics, the dragon was just part of it. And it just felt like, oh, this is always part of Kitty Pride's thing. And I never thought about where did this dragon come from? Why is it here? It just felt right. Yeah. Uh, and, and now that I've seen it introduced, I'm like, this is a very weird addition to the book. Yeah, it's like a fantastical sort of fairy tale sort of addition. Yeah. Um, Scott Summers is going to meet his grandparents. He and Havoc are with uh, Starjammer dad going to Alaska to meet. His parents. I'll give uh, uh, Corsair some credit. For once in his life, he's not walking around in his space pirate outfit. <laughs> he generally strolls down New York in that thing. Here he's wearing like a winter coat, and he's looking like a human being for once. Uh, and then Scott Summers meets Madeline Pryor, who is a genetic duplicate of Jean Grey. Yeah. I mean, we don't know that now, right? She's just someone who looks just like her. Right. We don't know that this is actually a genetic duplicate, but it's somebody who looks exactly like her. Yeah, pretty crazy. I never, I never fully understood the Madeline Pryor thing at all. Um, like the justification of it, or just why it exists. I don't know her whole story. I know she was around, and he was married to her, and then he leaves her when Jean Grey comes back to life, and uh, and she's still around. Like she becomes a Goblin Queen. And I'm like, okay, I don't get that character at all. The whole death uh, of Jean Grey, like they just never were totally comfortable with. They kept trying to bring her back in different ways. Like Madeline Pryor is a way to bring a Jean Grey-ish person back. It is insane. It's maybe one of the most insane things that ever happened to Cyclops to be like, I'm going to go on vacation, meet my grandparents, and then he meets a Jean Grey clone. Yeah, uh, it's not not what he's expecting. Uh, the next two issues, 169 and 170, are the Morlocks. Yeah, these are. I think these are really fun, too. And the, the basic overall story is that they, Callisto, the head of the Morlocks, kidnaps Angel to be her husband because she thinks he's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the midst of the battle, Kitty Pride gets wounded and Caliban rescues her on condition that she marry him. Yeah, and Storm then fights Callisto for leadership of the Morlocks so that she can save the X-Men and she wins. 
and she wins. And you get to meet a lot of the Morlocks, and they're they're basically mutants who are just kind of live in the sewers. So they have like a lot of superpowers, and there's there's fun powers in there. And this just uh, becomes a little society that we're going to visit now and then, right? Yeah, and this is happening while Cyclops is with Madeline Pryor, and while Wolverine is off in his miniseries. Uh, so it's a it's a depleted team. Yeah. Uh, there's a fun bit here where Angel's gone missing and Professor X asks Nightcrawler to look into it because Nightcrawler's so close. Nightcrawler is like in the middle of a nude bath with his girlfriend, but instantly teleports outside to go check on his friend, which is really cool. But he's also like naked teleporting around the city. Yeah. Um, and but then he wasted he bring, time. I loved it. And he brings Angel's girlfriend, who's been incapacitated by the Morlocks, back to his hot tub and deposits her in the hot tub. While he goes and tends to whatever happened to Angel. Yeah, it's sort of a very funny, but also sort of smart move. We see that the Hellfire Club is beginning to do stuff like Emma Frost is like in a coma or something for some reason. We don't quite know what's going on there, though. Yeah, but they're they're planning something. Mm-hmm. Um, Kitty Pride has a new uniform. Yeah, it's, and she's uh, pushing against, she doesn't like the name Sprite anymore. Does that happen in this issue or the previous issue? That happens in, in this issue. That happens in this issue. I don't like yeah. it either. I think she's right. Uh, it's not a good name. I just think of her as Kitty Pride. I've never thought of her as anything else. Maybe Shadow Cat? I think of her as Shadow Cat, but I guess nobody else likes that name. I'm not sure why. That name works for me. Um, this but yeah, they go, into the, they go into the sewer tunnels to look for Angel. They have a Cerebro unit to help detect Angel, they, because they don't have any other way to track him because they don't have Wolverine with them. And this is where, as well alluded to earlier, Storm's like, hey, can we bring Wolvesbane with us? She could track. Professor X said, no way. Right. Um, that'll be an ongoing thing. The new mutants wanting to go on adventures and Professor X being kind of a strict dad. Um, I'm going by it quickly, but these issues are really fun. The adventures are really fun. The fighting yeah. is fun. The powers of the Morlocks is fun. Again, Paul Smith's art is just great and clear and it alternates between action and conversation moments. Well, uh, we also, there's a little rogue rogue is introduced. We're back to rogue a little bit here. Oh yeah. We see rogue near the end of the second issue. Uh, near the, yeah. 170. Uh, we yeah. see her escaping from the brotherhood of evil mutants who kind of raised her. Yeah. And I guess there's been some brotherhood of evil mutant stories that we have not read in like Avengers annuals and things like that. Cause we haven't yeah. seen much of rogue in X-Men comics at all. We right. saw her once. Right. And we have not seen her as part of the Brotherhood at all. Um, that's right. Not in the X-Men comics. Yeah, I have not read those. Um, yeah, I think these comics are great. These are the sort of comics. These are really fun and a lot more. They're just paced great. Um, they're simpler stories. I, I, I find the escapes make sense. Um, everything is clearly well-established, you know, like Kitty Pride is diseased and they need to get her to a hospital so that they can save you know, her. help save her. Use like the high-tech X-Men medical bay to save her. Yeah. Uh, all they need to do is get away from the Morlocks to pull that off. And, like that all makes sense. And the Morlocks outnumber them. And most of their powers don't seem that powerful, but the one who gives you disease at a touch is pretty powerful. Yes. Uh, that the only way to get out of there is to fight the leader is sort of a, it's a, it's the rule is defined. The X-Men play by that rule and mm -hmm. win by that rule. It's yeah. very cool. The visual look of these characters is cool. Like the character who can give you a plague named plague is kind of this like, you know, gleefully grotesque sort of uh, creature, uh, woman of the sewers. 
And then Mask, who is ugly but can make other people beautiful, prefers to make other people ugly like him. Mask can change what anyone looks like. Except himself. uh, Except for himself. And he is like a Quasimodo-ish looking dude. Callisto looks like the lead singer of The Pretenders, Chrissy Hind. She's kind of got a cool, you know, pirate king of the sewers look going. Does Callisto have powers? I don't know. I'm not sure what Callisto's powers are. Just being badass, just confidence, mm-hmm. just leadership. There's a great moment when when Storm accepts this battle, and Storm is like a little bit diseased at this moment, but is going to do this fight. Uh, and Callisto like tosses a knife at Storm, and Storm catches it in a really badass way. And Callisto's like, "Uh oh!" <laughs> it's a really fun slow moment that I, it's given the real estate to really hit. Yes, and the the emotional battle here is it's a fight to the death, but Storm has vowed to never kill anybody, but she's got to save Kitty. So what she does is stab Callisto in the heart, but betting that she will still be saved so that she does the act of killing somebody without actually resulting in somebody's death is what Storm was gambling on. Yeah, it's also really cool that Nightcrawler and Colossus are sort of let you know that because while that is clear, I do think it needs to be hit in this issue. You can't just assume everyone knows this and just... That's one thing that uh, uh, Colossus sees Storm catch the knife and he's impressed. And Nightcrawler says, it's a bluff, mein Freund. Uh, Aurora has sworn never to take a human life, remember? Once Callista realizes that Storm is finished, it it gives the uh, uh, necessary stakes to this. Yeah, and I think like one thing that might be better in these issues is it's done there in a nice clean little speech balloon before it goes down. And I feel like there's been other X-Men issues where the battle would finish and then there'd be some long caption box explaining this. Yeah. Or a bunch of caption boxes during where like the next page is a couple of caption boxes up top, but then it's like, uh, action. one, two, three, four, uh, uh, and the six on the next page, almost 10, 12 panels with like only a couple captions total the entire time and not even much dialogue. Yeah. Uh, it is like a, uh, you know, it is a Stan Lee would apologize for this type of page coming up, <laughs> but you love to see it. You love to see sort of pages where like the art is communicating it. You don't need any captions. So yeah. calm down, Chris. And Chris did good for him. So I think we're into a good phase of X-Men here. Yeah. I mean, Paul Smith doesn't stick around long. I think we're already, I think halfway through Paul Smith's era. Crazy. Cause uh, uh, by the time we get to issue 180, I know John Romita Jr. Is on board. Oh, I don't so know sweet. when he takes over, but. So, wow. I think Paul Smith is here for like a year, maybe at, at most. Well, what a year. That's what I say. Yeah. I mean, he he's good. Uh, all right. Let's take a long overdue break. Will Willie Hines talk too much about the first issue? So let's uh, take a break. Okay. So Kevin, Screw It Comics is sponsored by Shortboxed. Why don't you tell the people what that is? Shortboxed is an app and a website where people buy and sell graded comic books uh, that they've uploaded photos of and then... You know, ship them to each other, sort of like a, a, a very specialized uh, shopping network. I've already talked too much. Uh, no, you're doing great. And uh, what is uh, graded comic books? Graded comic books are when people send their comics to a third party. Mm-hmm. We take these comics and kind of judge the condition of the comic book. Is it is it folded? Is it ripped a little bit? Is it how faded are the colors? And then they kind of seal it in like sort of this hard plastic and send it back with a grade on it uh, between like zero and 10. So 10 being like, oh, this comic is in perfect condition. It could not possibly be better. And one is, what did you do to this comic book? <laughs> what happened You're here? a monster, yeah. <laughs> 
And uh, Sharpbox, their app has just been redesigned recently. So it's more intuitive and prettier. And they have giveaways where you can like enter contests to win graded comic books, sometimes signed, sometimes pretty old. I enter, I've entered a few and I've won zero. Hint, hint, short box. Let's rig it for your sponsees. Yeah, that there's no controversy there. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Shortboxed is great. We think you should download the Shortboxed app and check it out today. Or tomorrow. One of the two. All right, and we are back. We're getting into the mailbags portion of our episode. We got a couple of emails uh, we're going we're gonna to go over. Kevin and I are recording these episodes a little bit ahead of time in February because uh, I'm going on some improv travels. And I think you're getting a, busy, uh, so we're a, li- we're a little yeah. bit ahead of time here. I've got some work coming up that'll make recording just difficult to schedule. So, so we're gonna we're about to fall a little bit behind on mail, but we'll catch up for right now, Kevin. So if you want to email yeah. us, send us an email at screwitcomics at gmail. Because um, when we catch up, we'll probably we'll 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 do a bunch of mail when we catch up. So please send us some stuff. Uh, you can also contact us on Twitter or Instagram at screwitcomics. Uh, if you're an Instagram uh, person, please follow us. It's a great account. Uh, you get great um, screenshots of the comics we're talking about. Uh, Kevin, do we got an email? Yeah. Uh, first, I'm going to read one from a friend of uh, yours from high school, friend of the podcast, Dan Gelati. Nice. Uh, hello, sops of Batman, he starts. <laughs> I'm very much enjoying revisiting The Dark Knight Returns. I've read it several times since getting the first collected edition for Christmas, 1986 or 1987. It's fun to go back and look at it issue by issue. Allows some more absorption than just powering through the whole book. This time around, the aging Batman thing is hitting me different, which happens with with art, but I'm struck by the feeling of being past your prime and still needing to get shit done. His fight with the mutant leader is amazing because he adapts using wisdom and experience. He can't go toe-to-toe with the younger beast, though he tries the first time. Maybe he remembers the mammoth quote, old age and treachery will always beat youth and exuberance. Or in this case, youthful psychotic rage. <laughs> Dark Knight gets blamed for ushering in grim and gritty, but the thing I am especially noticing now is that it's at its heart, it's hopeful. We can rise up against villains and we can stand against darkness and we can beat overwhelming odds, even super aliens. I think other grim and gritty that came after this and even sister work Watchmen neglect that aspect and instead revel in the cynicism and squalor. Batman does what he has to do because regular people deserve to live in safety, free from fear. As he beats the tar out of the mutant master, I found myself getting excited for this triumphant dark night. It truly was rousing. I also appreciate how quickly he sees in Carrie that she is awesome, brave, and capable, and that he needs Robin. In other hands, that would have been they would have drawn this out, but Miller's certainty shows here, and he knows that Batman needs Robin too. So why uh, a dick about wasting pages? Alfred is, his, Alfred is at his most hilarious. Gordon heading regretfully into retirement as a bookend to Batman coming out of it is well done. And Gordon and Yandel's respect and admiration for each other, despite this difficult situation they are thrust in, further shows that this is a work of an artist at the top of his game. Uh, and I uh, agree with all that stuff. I think it's... Uh, uh, yeah, well said, Dan. Yeah. He goes on to talk a little bit about the X-Men. Uh, I loved the Cockromarum as a kid, but it really doesn't hold up. Byrne often says he worked against Claremont's worst storytelling instincts. And I got to say, in rereading these, I totally see it. There are still some gems. Kitty has some great, awesome moments. Her costume changes are hilarious and very teenager. Her friendship with Kurt and the way that she's the little sister of the whole team really is great. 
The Brood are a pretty awesome, if not derivative, villain, and Wolverine's healing factor expelling it, but not without some grotesque effects, is cool as hell, and yet it's slipshod and silly and unengaging in equal measure. Reading ahead, I think Paul Smith elevates the book again for a while, but I was surprised by how strong the Burn Claremont issues are compared to the Cockrum Claremont stuff to an issue, I'd even say. And uh, I agree with that a lot. We agree with Dan Gelati. Yeah. Spoken, I guess we're all hatters. And he signs his email, Hatter for Life. So that was a, a good point. <laughs> well, Hatter is the mascot, hatters, the mascot uh, of our high school. High school. Yeah. Uh, big hat. <laughs> um, we got an email from Mike Zabo. Uh, hello again to my favorite brothers and kind of comedians, Will Hines and Kevin Stone. I don't know why I'm Kevin Stone in this. Uh, uh, you asked em, for feedback. E- Emma Stone, because you always like. Oh, right. Because I made that. You turned Emma Frost into Emma Stone. Um, you asked for feedback on The Dark Knight Returns, and I'm here for you. My background in DC comics are minimal. I don't like them normally, mostly because I don't like Superman or Green Lantern. I normally read event comics, which is why Kevin hates me so much. <laughs> and both of them always show up uh, in those. Batman is the one DC hero that I've read some stories and really enjoyed. I'd never ever read Batman. Uh, I'd never read either Batman Year One or The Dark Knight Returns. I loved them both. Hmm. The art of Year One is more my pace, but the story in Returns is just so much fun. Give me Batman beating the crap out of stronger people all the time. I'm going out on a limb to say DC might actually have something with this Batman character. (laughs) They might want to market him a bit more. Uh, I love your show and feel like you guys keep improving every season. Thank you. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Please never stop prepping for shows. It really does feel like I'm just having a friendly chat with my buddies, which is perfect. You two are the best. Uh, And then he talks a little bit at the very end. There's dialogue between Superman and Batman in the injustice story. Right after Superman accidentally kills Lois Lane, that would be perfect for Will to read as Stan Lee. Uh, And I've read the Injustice story, and it's way better than it should be. I don't remember that specific dialogue, but uh, um, uh, Injustice is based on that uh, fighting video game where Superman is evil, which as a concept is I don't love. But the comic was written by Tom Taylor, who is just a really great character writer, and he just gets these characters so well. Mm -hmm. Assuming you can accept that Superman is becoming a jerk, and one Roman two to a lesser extent. Everything else about those comics is just great DC stories. All right, it's a big if, but uh, I I found myself able to get by it to accept that one problem. Uh, thanks for the email, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Johnny Goss emails us. I don't really have an answer for this, but I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, Milk Sops. Just wanted to thank you for the podcast. I came from the other Screw It podcast. Write your book, Beatles. And while I've always been a fan of comics uh, from the outside, I never actually read them. I've recently gotten my first books and I've got the bug. I started with the Meta Barons, uh, Jodorowsky and Gimenez. I'm not sure that's how it's pronounced. Uh, it moved into the Inkle as well as Bronze Age, Swamp Thing, and Gideon Falls. I love them all for different reasons, and it's great to have a new way to appreciate storytelling. Would you recommend anything else to a reader like me? I like weird over cool. Thanks for the content, Johnny. Uh, And then he has a PS about the Beatles, Will. Uh, As a recording engineer, I've always loved the Beatles, but was never what one would be considered a fan. I might be coming around on these guys more. I was happy to discover the track Dark Room by Paul via the Beatles podcast. Very fun. Nice. Um, And Paul is one of those Beatles, I believe. 
Paul McCartney is one of the Beatles. Yes. Okay, great. Okay. Uh, so he wants weird comics. Uh, I've never read Meta Barons. Uh, I've, I've read Gideon Falls. I've never read Inkle. And Bronze Age Swamp Thing. Is that Alan Moore? I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah. So I've read that. Um, so other weird stuff. I don't know uh, off the top of my head. Um, it, it's not super weird, but the um, Starman is sort of a spiritual sister uh, to Swamp Thing uh, by James Robinson. Maybe something like, and I haven't read all of this, but uh, Grant Morrison's Animal Man might really appeal to you with the sort of meta uh, awareness of being in a comic book. Yeah. Um, I mean, the filth by Grant Morrison is truly strange and bizarre mm -hmm. and almost hard to keep track of what's going I mean, on, but probably you should read something by Grant Morrison. Cause he has a, he's good at writing weird stuff. Doom patrol is another thing he had a long run on people really love. And it's the inspiration for the HBO max show that I have not watched. Um, uh, what else? Anything else? Jump to I mean, mind. When I think weird, I go outside of superheroes. I think you, yeah, go, sure. you go into the indie world. It, it all is, it's a lot more uh, cryptic and sort of um, asking you to fill in the blanks a lot more. Um, if you read a lot of Dan Klaus stuff like eight ball, it's your, your hand is held a lot less. Uh, I find that really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, Love and rockets of the eighties and nineties, some of my favorites and, but it's, uh, you have to do a lot of the work, um, which I don't mind. Within superheroes, yeah, Grant Morrison. I mean, the non-DC Alan Moore stuff, the America's Best Comics, um, some of that stuff is quite strange, like Promethea. Um, it's trippy in a, in a fun way that, that you might enjoy. Kevin, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Gideon Falls is a, a sort of a trippy horror comic by Jeff Lemire. And uh, I forget the artist's name. It's um, uh, I don't know, the initials are AS, I believe, but it's like Sorrentino or something. Um, and I'm trying to think of something that fits that sort of realm. And nothing is jumping to mind. As I said, I don't have great answers for this email. Um, it's not weird, but I think Criminal is just a great gritty uh, comic, and maybe something that would be really uh, worth your while, or anything by Brew Baker and Phillips. Yeah, maybe if you're going to do the Brubaker film, maybe Fatal would be better. It's a little more horror and yeah. mystery uncovering. Yeah. So I think the Fade Out is my favorite thing they did, uh, which is sort of their Hollywood, uh, classic Golden Age Hollywood murder story. Yeah. Uh, but Fatal is more in line with sort of the horror stuff. I don't know. Those are some lines to go on. I mean, uh, Inkle's one of those, and Meta Barons are those things I've always heard about, but never gotten around to reading. So you might be able to recommend stuff to us better than the other way around. Yep. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you for emailing, Johnny. I also have one email from uh, one last email from David asking for some Roger Stern advice. I'm going to read it real quick, but I'll probably email him as well. Uh, I wanted to write in and ask you guys about the Roger Stern run you guys are always bringing up. I've poked around the internet for a reading guide, but haven't found anything concrete. I thought Unlimited would have a guide like they do for slot. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Should I read the spectacular issues and switch over to amazing? Thanks for the help, brothers. Uh, sorry to steer the conversation away from Batman, who I love, but I'm a Spidey fan through and through. Um, I don't think you need to read the spectacular issues of Stern. There are some good stuff. I think personally, I find it uh, a lot more uneven, mostly because the art is very all over the map. Uh, uh -huh. you can, there's a couple issues that are pretty good in that run. 
there's also it's like he writes a couple issues, takes a few issues off, writes a few issues. It's okay, yeah, inconsistent. When he takes over, amazing. Uh, he's paired with John Romita Jr. and uh, uh, it's just way, way, way better. So I don't think you need to read those issues. I also think they're not that bad to read. So um, I would say if they're hard to find, I'm not even sure they're on Marvel Unlimited. Marvel Unlimited is missing a lot of spectacular comics. Interesting. So if they're not on Marvel Unlimited, I don't think you need to go out of your way to find them. I think just read the amazing issues that Stern did. But I'll probably email you this as well. Uh, also, the amazing Spider Talk, uh, who had us on as guests, Will. Yes. Uh, recently covered that era of comics, and they talk a lot about, they do a podcast about the spectacular issues, and they do a podcast about the amazing issues of Stern. So you could just listen to the episode on the spectacular issues and go into reading the amazing issues if you wanted to. Yeah, Might great podcast. Love the amazing spider talk. Yeah, they know what they're talking about. Uh, as opposed to us. Yeah. I don't know why they feel the need to know things. And that's all we got, Will. Hey, thanks so much for emailing us. Um, so we're going to have a, we'll have a a little a little bit of a break here before we get back to emails. Uh, or actually maybe it was more that this episode we're recording now was going to come out in a little bit. So anyway, whatever. Please it's going to be a break for us. From, from you, the listener, there won't be a break at all. But if you're sending us emails, uh, uh, if you've sent us emails since whatever, February 14th, uh, we might not answer it until mid-March. We'll be right back on it. Yes, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. And I'm sorry I talked forever about those first two issues, but I was excited to see some great Paul Smith art. And the Professor Xavier is a Jerk is an amazing comic, and I'm glad I read it. And uh, make mine milk sop. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you guys uh, next episode. Yeah, take care of yourselves, everybody. Bye. Keep the brood out of your tummies. I'm Mark David Christensen. I'm Kate Thompson. And together we host Aw Crap, a Hellboy podcast, the show dedicated to the world of the half-demon hero created by Mike Mignola. Every Wednesday we make our way through the pages of Hellboy, BPRD, Witchfinder, and many other related comic book titles. Plus, we discuss the various Hellboy live-action and animated films, novels, and other media adaptations. That's Aw Crap, a Hellboy podcast on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.